Aalto University Podcast. Many of our alumni have raised that. No one told when they were doing their PhD that PhDs are actually employed to leadership and management positions. So you're most likely going to have uh, employees and management uh, responsibilities and such. So why not include them into PhD education then? The best thing today. A podcast by Aalto University psychologists. Today, Maria Tönruus and her special guest, Maya Taka. Hi everyone, we're back. So welcome to The Best Thing Today, a podcast series by the Alto Psychologists. Today, Maya and I are going to talk about academic supervision. Is it a superpower or is it just common sense? Sometimes I wonder why academic supervision is often bad. I actually wrote wrote a blog post about this during the fall. If you're interested, you can go check it out on my blog, The PhD Pathfinder, at mariatonrus.fi. So I know I'm a bit provocative with this issue because it's so close to my heart. I'm sure not all supervision is bad. Um, There are obviously gems out there, and certainly most of the supervision is adequate. But I'm also sure that a lot of supervision could be a lot better, if we would prioritize it. So today we're going to discuss what's wrong with academic supervision, and how we, as a research community, could make it better. So did you know that... Supervision is the most widely researched factor influencing doctoral student well-being and also considered to be the most important in the doctoral experience. It's a thing that affects both supervisors and students, and it deserves a lot more attention, don't you think, Maya? I totally agree. PhD is a collaboration project and supervision is a relationship for years. And as we're all individuals, every supervision relationship is, of course, different, and that affects the daily supervision. It's important to remember that we're all individuals and every relationship is different. And what I see in my everyday work are problems with communication, uh, expectations, uh, leadership problems, because obviously the supervisor If you're supervising a doctoral student, it's not like you're supervising a master's student. So there you also have to sometimes be this person's employer and and there comes the leadership issue. So if you don't have the leadership skills, then this also becomes an issue. And also what I see in my work is the lack of support. So sometimes the doctoral student tells me that their supervisor haven't hasn't been in touch with them for like six months, especially during COVID. And that's crazy. That's too long. And then I see also anxious supervisors who might have lost contact with their students or might be thinking about what, what they're doing wrong and uh, how they could motivate their students more. And also... I see supervisors who are struggling with students who have mental health issues. So what should they do if their student comes to them and opens up about these things? 
very good point, especially if you have a student who actually opens up to you. So you have a huge challenge how to how to help the student. Supervision entails a diversity of tasks. There is encompassing a broad spectrum of responsibilities like management, research skills, communication, encouraging for new ways and critical thinking, developing a relationship, uh, inspiration, care, and so forth. But on the other hand, academic freedom and this traditional one-to-one supervision provides very little set, like formal structures or processes to actually follow in the four-year or even longer process. Mm. So it means that the supervisor is supposed to be a unicorn and work within structures that aren't even there or try to navigate, you know, the murky waters themselves. So the pressure is too high and the workload too big. That's well said. And Think about the tenure track professors. They do go through like continuous evaluation and they are evaluated based on research, teaching, supervision, external funding and other factors. So that's a heavy burden. The best thing today by all the university psychologists. There comes also one of the main problems that scientists aren't trained to mentor. So... They're being evaluated on these things, but they're not trained to do them. And they're certainly not incentivized to mentor or supervise, or at least not incentivized to do anything well. It's enough if you have, if you have teaching, if you have courses, if you have uh, students, but how well you're doing it, it doesn't matter or no one cares, essentially. I'm, again, a bit provocative, I know. <laughs> Um, but then it's also what is good supervision, how to do it well. I define good supervision as humane, being a good human to another human being and helping them to reach their goals. And I also want to make it clear that I don't like the idea of incentivizing everything. You don't have to get monetary rewards for everything that you do or be be you know evaluated with a number on everything but if you're only rewarded by publications be it money monetary rewarding or be it job opportunities rewarding then it obviously affects your motivation to do anything else or, or to do anything else well and you become blind to your other development or other success and other impact exactly And especially if you're in a field that it's is competitive and there are only a few tenure track positions and those tenure tracks uh, are going to be filled by people who have you uh, for three publications. And you would like to focus on teaching and supervision and publish publishing in good journals, but ne- not necessarily in you for three journals. So what are you going to do? And it's very hard to publish in UFO3 journals. It's It takes a long time and it's time consuming and it's it's a heavy workload. And sometimes it might not even be the best thing for your topic or your. It's it might not even be the best thing for science to publish in a UFO3 pu- publication. You could even have one podcast just about the amount of failures and work behind just one publication because the publication is celebrated by the path from research to actually the publication is long and hard. That's true. And it's a lot of invisible work that younger academics, young young scholars 
don't necessarily understand or see because we are not uh, transparent about it. So I think a CV of failures would be a very, very, very good to have for uh, professors or also making sure that that uh, you show how much work goes into different kinds of publications. And there's obviously also the element of luck involved. The best thing today. So we've come to the conclusion that supervision is an important part of academic work. But what does it actually entail, Maya? I'd love to start from the history. So if we think about universities, they were established in Europe during the Middle Ages. And the original idea was to educate people who have license to teach. And now PhDs are educated uh, to express their self and conduct research and follow the academic standards. And nowadays... PhD is the highest level of education in universities, but it strongly focuses on individuals getting research experience and producing those outcomes you just mentioned that are easy to measure and they kind of uh, represent your success in, in research. The EU's commission has several key principles for higher education, uh, interdisciplinary research options, exposure to practitioners and industry, networking, transferable skills training and quality assurance. But on the other hand, PhDs are increasingly employed outside the academia. And that's something that the supervision should also prepare the students for future positions. Mm. And I just recently read a paper where there was a nice statement that there is very little critique on existing supervision practice. So our experienced supervisors act as models for new supervisors, but they themselves have nothing new to learn. Mm. There are a lot of things that you mentioned that 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 are, are important uh, topics that I want to focus on. So I think that it's it was wonderful to hear that PhD is licensed to teach. And how can we see this today? How does this reflect in the PhD, the doctoral studies today? Not that well, because doctoral students also talk to me about that they feel like they haven't had the opportunity to practice teaching or or practice supervising. And then also when you talked about the transferable skills, that is also something that is lacking in the doctoral training is, is the um, supervision or leadership training. It can be both. As you said, many PhDs go out into industry. So couldn't we have this transferable skills training that would be about leadership that would entail also supervision so that we could teach future academics to, to supervise, but also future industry leaders to manage. That's a good point. And that's something that many of our alumni have raised that no one told when they were doing their PhD that PhDs are actually employed to leadership and management positions. So you're most likely going to have uh, employees and management uh, responsibilities and such. So why not include them into PhD education then? And as you told about that there is very little critique on existing supervision practice and that experienced supervisors act as models for new supervisors. And then if we have these different sort of training for supervisors, 
who will attend these trainings? Well, they will be attended by people who, are, who care about developing their supervisory skills. Because if it's not mandatory, then we won't reach this problem crowd of those supervisors who necessarily don't care about A, supervising or B, developing their skills. It sounds like there's also a need for institutional uh, solutions for the situation. So nowadays, the responsibility for educating and supervision is on the shoulders of individual supervisors. But this must also be understood in the wider context in universities and by governments and institutions who also have responsibilities in providing supervision and education. So I would say that there is a need to change the institutional research culture uh, to understand supervision. It's a part of a collaborating project. There is always many individuals involved in supervision and PhD thesis. Yeah, this is really important because it highlights that the responsibility should not be on the individual, not on the supervisor, definitely not on, on the student, Uh, to 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 receive good supervision, uh, but on the system and the university or the research community to see that there is enough training, that there is enough support, that the culture rewards, the culture expects good supervisors and fosters good leadership and supervision. The best thing today. So, now that we've discussed about supervision and what, according to the research and according to what we've experienced and what I've seen in my individual consultations, what is wrong with supervision, we can gracefully slide into the segment where we present some advice on the topic at hand. So as we spoke just a few minutes ago, one way to deal with these issues is from the top down, by imposing structures that focus on supporting and training faculty in supervision and in mentoring. And we should also perhaps not incentivize by money, but somehow encourage good supervision and this is a really difficult topic and I don't have any solution to how you measure good supervision. I don't think that student feedback uh, needs to be you you don't need to rely overly on student feedback from on this but but in some way we should encourage good supervision. And um, at the moment also, faculty aren't able to put the actual hours it takes to supervise in their work schedule. So this is also a problem. And this shows the lack of appreciation for supervision. So we need to make sure that the supervisors can allocate enough time from their work hours, from their work schedule to supervision in order to, as a research community, show that we also value supervision. That's a good point. I think that supervisors should be acknowledged for the valuable work they do. Uh, PhD students are among the largest groups in our staff, and a lot of research is related to doing PhDs. 
Uh, one solution is to move on from the traditional one-to-one supervision into supervision teams, but they can either have high gains, such as more help and resources for the supervisor, more diverse help and network for the students, and of course, a setting for co-learning. But there is also a possibility for high pains, meaning that, for example, all the advisors actually invest 100% of their resources and time for the supervision. There might be overlapping roles, uh, confusing uh, tasks, and, and so forth. But in my experience, in my research group, supervision in teams actually enables peer learning also for the supervisors. It helps the supervisor and advisors all to develop together. And we all know how important the professional networks nowadays are. I think this sounds like a really good idea to have supervision in teams. This sounds really nice and it also supports what I heard today when we had the master's thesis supervision pedagogical course last lecture and there we talked about their the the participants experience of my small groups so we had during the spring i had small groups with master's thesis supervisors three per group and we met once per group and we discussed cases that they or they they could bring one case to the session and oh, I love we, cases. We we discussed these cases together and and they said that the that this was wonderful because they were able to learn from each other and then also hear and understand that oh I'm not a bad supervisor because this has happened to me and it happens to other people also. So learning from each other is is really important and that's why these supervisor supervision teams would be wonderful. Mm. But another big issue also in academia, or at least in academia in Finland, is the lack of appreciation for pedagogical skills. Now we are planning at the moment new course, a new pedagogical course on doctoral supervision. And this new course is obviously also one way for supervisors to get peer support. And then there is also this group mentoring happening for supervisors but i think that it would it should be done in much much broader and much larger scale than it is today and then as i said about the transferable skills in doctoral studies one way also to to mitigate this issue is to provide this kind of pedagogical training already to doctoral students so that they already, when they are uh, becoming a, a researcher, a scholar, they they get these skills uh, from the beginning so that they can be the new generation of good supervisors. Obviously, it won't solve all the problems, but it might might help to create better supervisors for the future. Oh, that sounds perfect. <laughs> there is also a mismatch because universities consider that anyone holding a doctorate is competent to supervise a PhD student. And our professors in a tenure-track system are hired based on their potential, and they are hired to grow into professorship. So there's a lot of room for development and, of course, lifelong learning. And these kind of assumptions that anyone 
anyone is enough skillful to teach or supervise, they are dangerous. The best thing today. No one is 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 born an expert, and no one is is you know a ready professor or a ready researcher. But it's a lifelong journey of learning. And we've contacted Yanni Romanov uh, from Aalto University, a professor, to share his insights on this issue. Jani is a professor in marine technology and he will also be the new vice dean of education in our school of engineering. So Maria, what was the main message you picked from Jani's thoughts? Jani had a lot of excellent advice both for supervisors and for students and uh, his first advice was to listen and this is something that I've also advised supervisors in this course I just mentioned. So Yanni says that listen to what the student is saying or read what is being written. He also advises that you have to make sure uh, or make clear that you are both learners. Oh, that's a great mindset. So so you you are also, as a supervisor, even though perhaps you've supervised 30, 40, 50 students you the every student is unique and you learn something new from everyone so that is why he thinks that we need time to to think about the subject itself but also how we communicate with each other and then he also reminds people that the thesis is only a part of the student's life so other parts of life may affect the thesis too just like other parts of a supervisor's or a, a researcher's life affect their work too. So, so remember that we are all human here. He also has a very good point in that sometimes we may have to ask what is going on outside work. And this might feel uncomfortable for people to do. And I totally understand. You might feel like this is not your place to ask. It's none of your business, but sometimes it's just what the student needs. And and you have to remember that you don't have to be a psychologist or you don't have to be best friends with the student. You just have to be human. You just have to be there and listen. And there are other in our organization that can then support if there are well-being issues, mental health issues, or, or some other issues that the student has. But supervisor is usually the, the person closest to the student, and that's a question of care to even just ask, how are you doing? It, it might open a lot of problems and lead to worse solutions. And for the students, Jani recommends that you should remember that your supervisor is just a human being, They are doing their best and uh, they will probably not bite if you open up and tell them what you are struggling with. And he, he says that remember that they need to sleep, eat and rest as you do. And I think that's wonderful. So it sounds that even supervisors are just human beings. They're not unicorns after <laughs> all. And um, then we also asked Jani about his most memorable experience 
uh, and his most learnable experience during his time as a supervisor. And he said that his most memorable experiences come from when he tries to see with the eyes of the student. So he, he says that what I have learned is how differently myself and the student can see the science we are working with. In these situations, you should position yourself to the viewpoint of the student, and this will help you to deepen your understanding on the subject, which in the end is unknown always to some extent. That's a really good point. Thinking about or thinking from the student perspective, as a professor, you have a lot of experience, a lot of journal rejections, a lot of knowledge on how much time and resources tasks actually take. But your student is most likely a rookie with no experience or they can't read these things from a book. So it's really critical for a supervisor to be able to relate to the student and help them to grow. And it's important to take a step back if there are problems or issues in your supervisory relationship, take a step back and remember you can picture a triangle where the thesis is in one corner, the supervisor is in one and the student is in one. And then you can see that all these different corners have different relationships to each other. So you have a different relationship to the thesis than the student you might be really interested in this subject and the student is just like, oh, I just need to pass. And this might cause some, you know, issues with your communication, for example. Or then you have to remember that how the student sees your relationship, your relationship to each other is different from what you, how you see it or how you perceive it. So taking a step back and looking at this triangle might help understand where the issue comes from. And then also what we talked about with supervisors is that often there is a fourth dimension. So it becomes a pyramid because there is an outside force. Like, for example, if you're doing your your master's thesis for a company, the company might have restrictions, might not give enough support. And this then also becomes an issue, which is more out of your control. So these are relationships that are important to keep in mind and and important to know what you can control and what you can't. So even though I just talked about master's thesis, it obviously also applies to a doctoral thesis if you if you do it for a company, but this was my experience from this pedagogical course with the master's thesis supervisors that we talked about the issue or the influence of the company on these relationships. And think about the supervisor with four or five or even six PhD students, all individuals or different personalities. It it requires a lot from a supervisor to actually understand individual students. What I have noticed with the issues that arise with supervisors is that a lot of them are like management issues. So as we talked about earlier, training in management skills, leadership skills, supervision skills, these could be combined to one one course that would be mandatory for pedagogical, uh, you know. Training? Training, yes. <laughs> the Best Thing Today, a podcast by Alta University Psychologists. So in this episode, we talked about academic supervision. 
And uh, actually, we came to the conclusion that it's not a superpower. It is common sense, but it's not on the shoulders of the individual. And in our opinion, the key takeaways are that you do not have to be a unicorn to be a good supervisor. Open, clear and frequent communication is key. But also remembering your boundaries as a supervisor. You are not supposed to be a psychologist. It's enough that you are there and that you listen mm. and refer to other experts uh, if needed. And doctoral students and also other students should remember that their supervisor is a human too. But if you're facing serious problems with your supervisor, you should definitely try to bring them, them up or then ask for help from elsewhere. It's good to remember that PhD is a path for growing into independence. So we are not supposed to be independent researchers on day one. Because sometimes supervisors might think that independence is the same as leaving uh, the student completely alone to do their thing, but that's not the case. So as a supervisor, it's important to remember to be there for your student. It doesn't mean that the student is less independent. And uh, we also came to the conclusion that there is a desperate need for training in mentoring and supervising because doctoral students do deserve good leadership and good mentoring, as do all of us working in academia. So thank you for listening to The Best Thing Today. Stay tuned for our next episode on academic work and exhaustion. How can you manage your time as a young researcher if your energy is drained? all the time. Thank you, Maya. It was really nice talking to you again. And well, we will continue talking uh, until someone says that we have to stop. But thank you for now and bye. Bye. All the University Podcasts.